Heavenly Father God, I I lift up Brian and Jennifer and yes, Kijo and Michael and Megan and Jim and Peter and Molly, Mark and Kelly and Nico, God. I just pray that you would touch them, that you would provide for them, Lord. I pray, God, that for Nico's trip, Father, that you would provide all that is needed there. I pray for a harvest of souls, God. Yes. I pray for each and every person, God, that you would just renew the fire, the call that is on their life, God, that you would be the lifter of their heads, that you would protect them from harm, Father. Yes, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you are using them in the kingdom of God and that many souls would be saved, God. Yes. Thank you for this fellowship, God. I thank you for just, I can't, words can't express what it means to me, Lord. Um, and what each and every person means to me, God. And I pray, Father, that we would um, that we would love each other and that we would continue to grow and that our roots would grow down deep, God. And as we see that times are changing, things are happening on this earth, things are becoming more and more unstable, Father, um, just everywhere, God, that we would hold on to each other, that we would hold on to the truth, Father, that we would not be tossed to and fro, God. Yes. Father, that those that come in and out of these doors, Father, that they would truly know you, God. And if there's any that don't truly know you, that they would humble themselves, that today would be the day of their salvation. Yes, Lord. Lord. I pray, Father, that you would add to our numbers those that are being saved, Father, and that, God, that you would remind us, Father, that you have given us the church, God, to help us walk through this life. So we thank you for that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship our King. Yes. You made the rain, so when it falls on me, should I complain? Or feel you calling me, it's all on me to stay. And really catch what you're showing It's my roots that you're growing Cause life is more than this moment You are the light So when the darkness falls The greatest heights They never seem so tall or not at all You're right It's my roots that you're growing Don't wanna miss what you're showing Ain't no doubt about you smile on the face of your boy you're the flowers at the park in detroit still the words on the back of our coins let's make some noise you cover me my defender when you're rolling up your sleeve you're the truth that's gonna set the captain free the only king that's ever chose to bleed that's what i need but they keep trying to make your glory fade Really sweating what they say
that above me Lord, I love all the ways that you love me You're the good, you're the good, you're the goodness Through the good and the bad and the ugly I can still feel the sunshine above me Lord, I love all the ways that you love me You're the good, you're the good, you're the good You're the So come now, all you weary, 
Find your freedom as you kneel There's no hurt my Jesus can't heal There's no hurt My Jesus can't heal, no empty, oh, His love can't fail, this world ain't gonna save us, but I know the one who will, no hurt, no hurt, my Jesus can't heal, no hurt, no hurt, my Jesus can't heal, no hurt, no hurt. My Jesus can't heal.
Because of your love that you sent Jesus. 
For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, that's what you did for us. Your word says that you are love. (laughs) And yet, Father, so many times we miss out or we can't comprehend the love that you have for us because we're searching for love everywhere else and that's the fallen nature that's that sin nature that that your word tells us that we're born into that we seek love from the created but we weren't purposed for the created we were purposed for you So, oh, how I pray that each one today, Father, would look up and know that they are perfectly loved by the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one who sent forth His Son to reconcile us back to Him. So now, therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus are at peace with God, the Creator. So, Father, we thank you for that hope and that hope that will never disappoint us. May we cling to hope, knowing that that hope is Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you willingly gave up yourself and endured our punishment so that we could be restored. Oh, (laughs) that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And this is the message of the gospel. That for those who are in Christ, that you have called out and sent forth to share with others who are still held captive to a false sense of love. Oh, so encourage your people today, Father, I pray. And for those who may not be in Christ today, may your words pierce their hearts, God. May the veil be removed from their eyes. And may they truly see Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, who rose from the dead, who came to redeem mankind, to save them because of your great love for them, Father. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Application. Sustained effort. Hard work. Again, we've talked about it numerous times and we'll continue to talk about it until the end of this year. But it's that sustained effort. It's just not, oh, I'll do it now. I'll say a prayer now. Um, I'll go to church today. I'll maybe read something or I may do this or I may do that. No, no, no. There's no may. it's, It's something that you do constantly. It is who you are. It is your identity now. If you're a believer, religious people do religious works. And even in their religious works, they can have sustained effort in them, but it'll amount to nothing. You see, when you're really truly in Christ, when the veil has been removed and you see Him for who He is, You can't help but humble yourself 
And it goes back to what we've been talking about, that first you need to recognize that you are an enemy of God. Apart from Christ, that is your nature. We were all born as sinners. All of us, the same nature. That sin may be different in how it's displayed in us are the desires, are the attractions, are the wants and the needs. But we're all born with the thought of just me, myself, and I. My hurts, my wants, my this, my that. But God knows this nature. And all along, He planned to reconcile us back to Him through His Son Jesus, through the cross. Through the cross. And Jesus endured what He endured in order for us to be able to truly live life, a full life. That's why Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in the abundance. See, when you're a Christian and you are in Christ, you begin to grow, you begin to mature, you begin to not so, you don't hold tightly to what's behind you. You don't keep thinking how you used to think. Oh, it's a whole new way of living. No matter what your age is, when you come to, to recognize Jesus as the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, that He defeated sin and death, He is a victorious King, it is now about Christ in your life. It's no longer about you. He is seated at the right hand of the Father's throne. Place of authority. He cries out from the cross, it is finished. <laughs> and oh, how we can take joy in knowing that. So when we have that understanding and we have received that revelation, because remember, man can't teach you this. It's a divine revelation from God. God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus Oh, you may hear people teach and share, but when it becomes the very essence of who you are, in and of yourself, you wouldn't want the fullness of Christ. You would want to pick and choose what you would like of him. But when you come to a divine revelation and you have this understanding and you see yourself as his enemy and you humble yourself in repentance, and then you believe upon him, it radically changes your life. Because that's what it is now. It's a lifestyle. It's sustained effort. You're not going to keep going back. You're going to keep pressing on. Even in the times that you fail. Even in the times that you react as you shouldn't and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get up and you're going to keep moving forward. And that's why Jesus says, again, we've heard this before. He tells us, that's why I have to leave so the Holy Spirit will come. If you're a Christian, God in you, the Spirit of God in you, living through you, <laughs> that we have the power of the resurrected life in us, if we're believers, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible, remember, tells us that he's the one that gives us the desire and the power to live this out. Are you living it out? Sustained effort. 
allowing your roots to grow down deep into Jesus. That no matter what's going on in this chaotic world, you can stand. No matter what's happening. No matter where you've been or what has been ha- or what has happened to you, no matter what has taken place back here, it doesn't have to keep defining you. Your hurts, your insecurities, your wounds, your anger, all of this stuff that tries to define you. As you are living this life out now, empowered by the Spirit of God, sustained effort, it's hard work, you're learning to deal with what's trying to devour you. Instead of embracing it and identifying with it. I don't have to be my anger. (laughs) I don't have to be my insecurities. I don't have to be the abuse that took took place to me. I don't have to be, you know, the one who was abandoned. I don't have to be all that is screaming at me from back here trying to tell me who I am. (laughs) Because if I believe the word of God, Oh, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. Like I know who I am because I know who he is. I know that when I fail, that he's quick to forgive as long as I'm quick to repent. (laughs) He just doesn't dismiss me, just pat me on my back and coddle me. Oh, poor you, Rob. No, no, he's very direct with us. Because his standard is holiness. Because he's a holy, holy, holy God. And we need him to be a holy God. We don't want him stripped down. We don't want him made so common that we think we can just hang out and do whatever we want. No, no, no. He's a holy God. And the Bible says that he's equipped us to do good works Even before we were born, placed in our mother's womb, God knows you, knew you. Because he's the one who purposed you. And he's the one pursuing you. So that you would turn to him and experience the fullness of life. The power of God, the kingdom of God, here and now. And for all eternity, you all. So it's sustained effort. It is not, and listen, everything out there is going to try to distract you. That's what I keep telling you. I just have a few hours with you on a Sunday. Everything else has you all the other days and hours. So who are you listening to? How are you living? What choices are you making? Are you taking thoughts captive? Are you bringing them underneath his lordship? Do you know what it means to live underneath his lordship? Application is vital. We just can't be hearers of the word. And we just can't hear and then again pick and choose what we want. No, no, it's all of it. From beginning to end, it's all of it. And there's a lot of false gospels. There's a lot of false teachings out there. There's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing seeking to devour people. That's why you must be in Christ and in his word. Yes, you should hear it taught, but just don't take it because it's coming from my mouth. (laughs) Go open up your word and read. Go open up your word and pray. 
Go open up your word and read and pray and apply it. Live it out. Not in your own strength. Not trying to do it in your own strength. But relying on the Holy Spirit daily. That's why I love it when the Bible tells us if we walk habitually, always, continually in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of our flesh. Remember, Galatians tells us that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But listen, remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And what you feed breeds, and what you starve dies. You ought not to be continually feeding the flesh. You need to learn to feed the spirit, no matter what your age is. And you don't beat yourself up, and you don't turn it inward, and start making it all about you. No, no, no. Because we've reckoned ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And this is how we live now. And so we have to learn to apply it. To apply. To give one fool's, one's full attention to a task and to work hard. If we desire for the word to take root in our lives so that we produce a harvest that pleases God, we must ponder reflect, and meditate on what we read and study in the Bible. And I've shared these, these questions with you before. I just want to put them back out before it's in the notes and put them in front of us again today as you hear them. So we must ponder, reflect, and meditate on what we read and study in the Bible. And as we meditate, we can ask ourselves some questions. What does this passage teach me about God? First and foremost... What does this passage teach me about the church? What does this passage teach me about the world? What does this passage teach me about myself, about my own desires and motives? Does this passage require that I take action? If so, what action should I take? What do I need to confess or and or repent of? What have I learned from this passage that will help me to focus on God and strive for his glory? Remember, to apply, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step and causing God's word to come alive or come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us. And I keep saying this every week to us, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Between good and evil to know right from wrong. To be able to make a decision in the heat of the moment and say, no. I'm not choosing to do what is wrong. I'm going to choose what is right, no matter how hard it is for me. Because listen, we've discussed it already before. It's easy to do what's wrong. Think about that in your life. All of you, no matter what your age is, it's easy to do what is wrong. But try to do what is right and watch yourself fight with you. Watch all the obstacles come up. Watch what your friends say. 
Watch what happens when you purpose to say, God, I'm going to honor you and do what is right. I don't have to give in to this emotion. I don't have to give in to these desires. I don't have to give it in to all of this rage that I'm feeling. I don't have to let my mind lead me down a path to, to all these crazy thoughts. Like I could choose to do what's right. But to do what is right does not come easy to this nature. And that's why it's important that we're talking this way to each other, again, no matter what our ages are. That we understand. Like, brother, sister, I know what you're going through. Like, you don't have to beat yourself up over it. You don't have to be bound by shame and guilt. No, let's get in prayer together. Let's seek Christ together. Because He wants to deliver us. He wants to encourage us. He wants us to live a full life. And to do that which is right brings forth life. A sound mind. (laughs) A heart of peace. (laughs) But if you keep choosing to do what is wrong, it brings torment to the mind and no peace to the heart. And we're just giving ourselves over to a nature that wants to destroy us. We ought to be choosing to give ourselves over to the one who loves us, the one who created us, the one who wants us to experience the fullness of life. And so it's vital that we're understanding that this is why we're maturing and we desire, and it's the the desire that he places in us. We just don't wake up one day and say, well, today I think I'll choose to do good or to live for Jesus. See, in and of yourself, you would never you would never want that. None of us, no created being would ever wake up and say that because the nature in and of what we're born in does not want him to be God. Yeah. So it's God that prompts us. It's God that reveals himself to us. And it's in that revelation that we accept this truth and now we begin to live. And so then as we're beginning to live, Things just begin to be taught to us. The Holy Spirit's working in us. And now we have the power to do what is right. To say what is right. To think what is right. To have a clean heart. A pure heart before Him. And it's nothing in and of ourselves. But it's all for Him. It's all for Him. So that's why that sustained effort application is so vital no matter what our age is. But you understand the works of the flesh. Again, nothing is hidden from us. No matter, again, no matter what our age is, nothing is hidden from us. Go out and try to do right this week. Watch how your flesh is going to fight with you. Watch how this world system is going to try to entice you. But you don't have to give in to any of it. Because God has made a way. And his name is Jesus. The final word. It is important to note that we are not alone in trying to understand and apply God's word to our lives. God has filled us with his spirit who speaks to us, leading and guiding us into all truth. For this reason, Paul instructs believers to walk by the spirit. For he is a very present help in our time of need. The Spirit will faithfully guide us into the will of God, always causing us to do what is right. 
Who better to teach us how to live according to all that is written in the Bible than the one who inspired the Bible to begin with, the Holy Spirit himself? Therefore, let us do our part by hiding the word of God in our hearts and obeying the Holy Spirit as he draws the word out of us. Remember, we are to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Again, scriptures that we've heard already, but I'm going to continue to hold up in front of us because these are scriptures to encourage you to keep applying God's truth. And remember, for 1 Corinthians, chapter 11 is actually in, I mean, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 11 is in chapter 10. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. The Word of God says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul is telling them. And he's not telling them in a way that's prideful or arrogant, like, oh, look at me, look at me, look how great I am. No, 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 no. But Paul understands the concept of discipleship. Paul is instructing the church, not in Paul's strength and not in Paul's power, but in the Holy Spirit's strength and power. Men of God, women of God, do not get up and share the truth of God's word in another of selves. And if they do, they're in error and nothing good will come from it. But when we can truly understand the power of God resides within us, we're living out the newness of life. And remember, it's not about being perfect. Your goal is not to be perfect. You're not perfected until you're with him. So we're not teaching Christian perfectionism. But as you've always heard me say, but you ought to be maturing. Your Christian life, now again, no matter what your age is, your Christian life, you can't be the same every day. Like you're supposed to be growing. So if your Christian life is what it was yesterday or the day before or 20 years ago, like something's wrong. Like you should see growth in your life so that you can look at others and say, as Paul said, not in the confidence of yourself, but in the confidence of what Christ is doing in you. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then Paul was encouraged to see that they were following the teachings. They were applying the truth and living them out. And so that's how it should be. We should be applying truth. I was speaking to a woman this week. And she's having a really hard time getting in the Word of God. And she's done this and she's done that and she's arranged her schedule and she's trying this and trying that. But she just keeps finding herself either falling asleep or getting caught up doing other things. And so I looked at her and I said, well, do you know this has been going on for years? Like, I can go back over my notes. 
And I can show you that this is, this is an ongoing thing that you're always asking prayer for. And I'll continue to pray for you, but you realize until you get up and start doing something, as the Spirit of God leads you, like it's never going to become something valuable to you, that you sense is something that you truly treasure. Do you treasure the Word of God? Because whatever your treasure is, is what you're seeking after. I said, listen, I'm not a person, and you've heard this before, I don't like to read, I don't like to study. Back in the days, I do now. But I was, I was horrible in school. I was barely in school. But yet, when I became a Christian, like, I didn't know how to live. I knew what Rob liked and what Rob wanted to do, just as it is with all of you. But when I became a Christian, I knew. Like, God, my life is yours, so how do I live now? The inspired word of God, yet though penned by men, inspired by the Spirit of God, to reveal the will of God, to draw the created beings to their Creator, so that ultimately love would be displayed and a creation will love their God. Remember, God's plan and God's purpose. That he would have a people, that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. And so I had to get in to the word. I had to learn to trust him. To know his character. To rely on him. And say, God, just have, have your way. Have your way. But you know what happened every time I read or would pick up the Bible? I was telling her all of this. I would fall asleep. I'd be like, oh, this is too much. And then I'd begin to say, huh. Oh, I see you, flesh. And you've heard me say this before. You don't mind sitting down watching a two-hour movie. You don't mind sitting and wasting time over and over and over and over on things that are useless. I see you at work. And so I begin to make myself get up. And I begin to walk with the Word. I began to walk and I began to read it. And then I would find myself, as I was getting up, walking and reading, and remember, every time I did something like this, I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to help me. Because I don't want it to be about me, God. So, Lord, I need you to help me. Help me understand your word. Like, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. You're my guide. You've been given to me. So I want to get out of the way, and then you help me. And so then I would pray, and I would begin to walk and read, walk and read. But then all of a sudden, my mind would start going every which way, start thinking of this, start thinking of that, start thinking of this. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was like, oh, God, help me. No, Lord, show me. How, how do I keep my mind from being all over when I'm trying to focus on your word? 
Well, then I began to walk and read, but this time I would read out loud. And if my mind started to drift, I will discipline myself and bring myself back to it and keep reading it out loud. See, there has to become a discipline in your life. And then I said after that, I began to write scriptures and put them in front of me on sticky notes or, or index cards that I carried on, on me. I mean, you have to do... It's not going to come natural to you. Like, you have to get up and put effort into this life now. Just as much effort as you did before Christ to live your life. Because listen, when I was in the occult, when I was doing witchcraft, when I was doing all this other craziness, I would sit for hours and study the cantations and the spells I never got tired. I would sit and meditate and go in trances for hours. I didn't fall asleep, but sit down and try to pray as a Christian. Oh, what? And so we have to wake up. We have to understand that there is a war raging against us. And we have to start believing in the one in whom we say we belong to and knowing what we have access to in order to get up and begin to live for him. That he would be our God and we would be his people. So I was encouraging her. Like, you got to start doing something. Get up. Do something. Ask the Lord. Seek the Lord. If you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with your whole heart. Or we can be the people that just keep making excuses of why we're not growing. Why we don't treasure God's word and the purpose for our lives. Like Again, it's just not a Sunday morning. Like It's every day. It's every day. And then if you don't have that type of hunger, if you don't treasure it, then just asking for it. Like, God, would you give me that? Give me that? Like, God, I want to desire. I want to treasure you above all. But I know my flesh. And ultimately, God, you know my flesh. You know what I would rather be doing. (laughs) But God, I don't want to keep doing that, which is only leading me to desire the created more and more and more and more. No, God, I want to start doing what makes me the desire that would make me want to desire you more and more and more. So I want to put just as much effort in this. Do you understand what, when you're angry or when you're battling insecurities or when you're allowing your hurt and your pain because of whatever rule your thoughts and mind, do you understand how exhausting that is and how that's affecting you every part of your being? But then we find hope in the Word of God where it says, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. And so we ought to pursue God for our minds to be renewed. The amount of time and the amount of time that I can find myself in a pattern of thoughts that are trying to rule us or to rule me, and I'm allowing it. Instead of pushing back and saying, no, wait a minute. What does God say about this? 
What does his word say about this? Because ultimately, that's what will lead to life. And that's what we're pursuing, you all. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's the good news, you all. It's just not a form of religion. It's a lifestyle. It's the way of life. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 through 4. Listen to this. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Again, you've heard this scripture now, going into the third month of this year, or middle of it now. What have you done with it? How have you applied it? How have you taken it and looked at it and asked the Holy Spirit, What does this mean? How do I live this now? How should this impact the way I think, the way I feel? I mean, listen to what it says there. By His, whose? God's divine power. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to what? Know Him. The One who called us to Himself. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Do you know the great and precious promises that God has given you? Oh, that you would seek them out, you all. (laughs) Instead of settling for what the created in the flesh is trying to give you. These are the promises, and listen to this. When you understand these promises... They help you, they enable you to share His divine nature. And by so sharing in His nature, you escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Human desires. You see, again, if you're living out of desires from within, they're going to lead you astray. But God says, no, Rob, this is the way to go now. This is the way to live now. Stop fighting me. Stop resisting truth. Stop stop resisting what is good for you. Trust me. Remember, he's the author of life. He's the giver of life. He's the creator. And I've always liked when I've heard people say, you wouldn't take your car if it broke down to a baker. The baker only knows how to bake bread. It doesn't know what to do with the mechanics of a car. So why would we take our life and everything that has happened in it to drugs, to alcohol, to sex, to relationship after relationship, to anger, to insecurities, 
to all these other things that are out there. Just fix me. And those things can't. Those things can't fix you. Well, I want the answers. I want to know why this has happened to me in my life. Well, why are you looking out here at the created? It has no answers for you. Go to the one who created you, who knows you, who purposed you, and seek him. Seek to be known by the one who knows you. (laughs) Because he's the only one. He's the only one that can help you through it all. Go to 2 Peter. Stay there. Still in chapter 1. Drop down to verse 10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Work hard. There again, there's that There's that picture of application. Listen, the Christian life isn't an easy life. I tell you, I was thinking about my, my childhood and my little interactions with quote-unquote church. I saw no power there. I saw no life-giving there. I just kept hearing a bunch of rules and laws. And God felt so far away from me that it was, I wasn't even paying attention. And when I went, I was just a young kid when my dad would take me while he was still around. But once he divorced my mom and moved on, there was no church and there was no dad. <laughs> I had to figure everything out now. But one thing I knew then is I didn't want to go back to the church. And it's not anything but my nature, as well as your nature, that chose to rebel against God. That chose to rebel against God and to go my way into this world and try to figure it all out. Praise be to God that he saw me through and he met me right where he needed to meet me to get me to where I was going and where I'm continuing to go, to Him. This is the God in whom we serve. And you can't keep your eyes on the church. I was offended at God, and my, and my case against Him is because I was offended at the church. And I tell people all the time, everyone has all their excuses and their complaints about the church. Well, stop complaining about the church and you start being the church. Your complaints and everything that you lob up against the church, you need to deal with yourself. You be right with God. You live among those then. And praying that the ember and the sparks from your heart will fall upon them and ignite them for the love and zeal of God. But we must work hard to prove that you really are among those people that God, the people that God has called and chosen. 
You don't get into heaven by your own works. It is only through Christ. But God has called us and chose us. And God is pleased to reveal himself to us. So we don't make it work-based because salvation only comes through Jesus. But as I keep telling you, the works are fruit of salvation. If you have no works coming from your life, genuine works, not works that you're doing in and of your own self, following these rules and laws and all this other weird stuff that religious people do, trying to get to God. Do you understand these denominations, these religions that make you work to get to God and and they'll slap Jesus' name on it is demonic? Because nowhere in his Bible does it say that we work to get to him. The whole picture of love, the whole picture of grace, the whole picture of Christ is that God came down to us. He humbled himself. He took on flesh in order to set us free. So now that we can live. And listen, I keep telling y'all, we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. (laughs) The world's getting crazier. Times are getting darker. And the church is not to be quaking in fear and reacting, overreacting. No, no, no. She's to be rooted in Christ. (laughs) And saying, Father, whatever comes Our way, let us be able to stand and stand therefore then to represent Christ and his kingdom. His kingdom. Because that's what he's done throughout the generations and the generations to come. He'll have a people prepared for each and every single generation to keep advancing his kingdom in a temporal world that's burning up. So we ought to be excited to be part of this generation. To say, God, wherever my feet tread, let this ground be given unto you, Lord. Let me learn to pray and intercede as I'm going about my day. Knowing good and well that they hated you, they're going to hate me. I'm not going, listen, as a Christian, you, you haven't signed up for the popular crowd. You know, a lot of us, I don't know about you, a lot of us and a lot of people, they, they try to get into the popular circle. They just want to be liked by everyone. <laughs> but listen, becoming a Christian, you're not going to be liked. I mean, Jesus himself says, like, consider the cost. Just don't follow me because, woohoo. You know, oh, look, this is exciting. Oh, no, no, no. It's all going to come to head. Because what I've come to do in this earth (laughs) is not going to be applauded by men. They hate me. And if they hate me, they're going to hate you. You better consider the cost. Just don't sign up. Oop, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And then you're really not a Christian. Stop that. (laughs) 
still come to church, still hear the word of God, but stop claiming to be one that belongs to him when you know good and well you're not. I love what this one pastor said. And I'm like, man, more people need to be saying this because it's something I truly believe. Listen, the church, the church, the identity of the church, the bride of Christ is for the church. It's not for the lost. And why on earth the church has allowed the lost in to dictate what the church should look like. No, no, no. The lost sinners are happy to come to sit in the church. The church should be open to them. And they shouldn't treat them any way but love them. But we cannot pretend they're one of us. (laughs) Because then we are a stumbling block to them. And you know what Jesus says you ought to do? It's best if you take a heavy brick, tie it around your neck, and throw yourself in the river before you you become a stumbling block to someone. See, the church in and of herself is a group of people throughout the earth who have been born again of the Spirit of God living empowered by the Spirit of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. And the lost come and sit in the church to hear of the God in whom has empowered and transformed the lives of those in the church. And so the standard in the church is for the church. And then as the lost hear and as they respond, as the Holy Spirit draws them and reveals Christ to them, then the church is there ready to receive them as a new creation to see them repent, to see them saved, to see them baptized, and to see them discipled. Because ultimately the kingdom of God is advancing. And for eternity, we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus and His kingdom. Oh, and the church should say, Amen. So you want to continue to work hard to prove you're really among those God has called and chosen. And I love what this promise says here. Do these things. And if you do these things, you will never fall away. Amen. You're not saved one day and unsaved the next. <laughs> Like you would never fall away. This is the guarantee of, 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 the, of God. Like love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. You know, when I counsel people, they all people always say, well, I've tried, or it just doesn't seem to be working for me. <laughs> That's because you're only looking at yourself. Like, look to Christ, you all. Know your God. Learn of Him. And as you get to know Him, He'll begin to reveal to you your identity that is found in Christ. And you will live in such a way that you would desire to honor Him. And even in those moments that you fail to honor Him, you would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
that brings you back to repentance. Because remember, the Bible says it is his loving kindness that leads you to repentance. So let that be an ongoing work in your life, you all. The attributes of God. So far we've heard that God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. That God is immutable. He never changes. That God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And so the fifth one we're going to learn is God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And so it's so important that, that we understand the character of God. That we know who He is, and that's why I'm holding these attributes of God up and incorporating them in our time together in hopes to encourage you to know your God. Especially in a generation where God is being made everything and anything. (laughs) Oh, we better know that we know that we know who our God is so that we will be able to stand and stand therefore then after we've done all we know to do. So God is omniscient. Remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God, and there is no other, I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 10. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Everything. Debbie McDaniel writes this about the omniscience of God. He can be everywhere at the same time. And he never sleeps or slumbers. He's aware every moment of every day exactly what we're up against. He knows our way and is with us always. There's no place on this earth we can go that he doesn't see and know of. Tozer writes this about God's omniscience. God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things, it follows, I'm sorry, it follows that he knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed Anywhere in the universe, at any time, in the past, or that may exist in the centuries and ages yet unborn. Because God is all-knowing. We can trust that He knows everything we're going through today. And everything we'll go through tomorrow. When we meditate on this truth, especially in light of His other attributes of goodness and love, it makes it easier to trust Him with all we have going on in our lives from the very serious to the silly and the mundane. This is God, you all. The more you understand who he is, his character. That's why I I can't say it enough. You, You can't learn of God by this realm here, by this world system, or by your own very nature that is at war against him. No, the revelation of God, the, 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 the truth of who he is, it's inspired by him. And it has been written for us in his word. And that's why you must know the word. You must live the word. 
And you must trust the Word of God. Because it is His divine revelation of who He is from beginning to end. From the moment that He spoke and formed to the moment that He comes and gathers up those who belongs to Him. It's the inspired written Word of God that impacts our lives. That we may know Him and then respond in that knowledge. Like, can you understand the application part? It makes it easier by understanding that God is omniscient, that it makes it easier to trust Him with all we have going on in our lives. Instead of stomping our feet and shaking our fist up to Him, we can humble ourselves before Him and say, God, you know all that's happening. Let me not get so overly anxious or overwhelmed. But God, may me, may me help me to keep my eyes focused and fixed upon you. God, I know none of this has taken you by surprise, but I know your word says that in all of this, what was intended for harm, you can turn it around for the good. See, I don't know how you're speaking or how you're living or how you're applying truth. Again, it just can't be a Sunday thing. This is a lifestyle. This, this is just becoming who you are. And you're not going to settle for the little scraps that are thrown at you. But you're going to know your God and your confidence is going to be in your God. My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in the God in whom called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It is in him and him alone. In my beginning days, I didn't know him. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. So I needed to be open enough for him to be able to reveal himself to me and me not get offended by what he's showing me of his character. As it is with me, so it is with everyone else. So it is with everyone else. So this is what I want to encourage us in this year. Again, like don't get to the end of December and be really stuck where you've been. <laughs> like you've got to get up. And you got to start applying truth. It is the truth that sets you free. Not a form of it. Poof, I'm a Christian. Poof, I'm a Christian. I'll just call myself a Christian today. And there's really no depth of Christ in you. Because you're still living for yourself. You're still living for yourself. And if you knew him, you would know right away, Oh God, I'm still your enemy. If my, if my prominent nature is me, myself, and I, there's no Christ. See, Christ is to take the throne now of your heart. That's what the Word of God declares. This is how you live now. It feels weird at first. <laughs> It stretches you. It ah, That's why I love this picture here. <laughs> that old man being ripped off, that old flesh, and look at that new man coming forth. It's a transformed life. And Carrie, you were talking about the butterfly on Wednesday night, and I was thinking as you were sharing about the butterfly being in a cocoon. Like, that is the most horrendous pain for that creature. That transformation that's taking place. 
but it has to complete, that work has to complete in order for this incredible creature to come forth. Do you know if you were like, oh my goodness, he looks like he's in pain, and you go and try to peel it and, and, and make it easier for him, it'll kill it. It'll kill it. So it is in our spiritual walk. You can't speed this up along. <laughs> That's why I tell you, be where you're at, at the level that you're at, but keep growing. Don't try to be like everyone else, and don't let super saint trying to come and, and hurry you along. No, no, you need to be moving along. You need to be maturing. You need to be growing. (laughs) But it's not going to be easy. And anyone who paints it out to be easy, poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Christian does not know the gospel. Does not understand this word at all. Because it's an ongoing battle of the nature. <laughs> but in saying that, that doesn't give us the license or the right to continue to live as in his enemy. Because he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has done everything. We just read the scripture. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. So if you're not living a godly life, you can't blame God. It's you. <laughs> you're choosing. You're choosing your way, not his way. Remember, it goes back to what is good and what is, what is bad, what is evil and what is right. I mean, we, 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 it's choices set before you. The Bible says life and death are set before you. Yes. And then he encourages us, choose life, Rob, choose life. The Bible tells us that sin crouches at our door. Its desire is to master us. And then the Bible goes on and says, but you must learn, this is in Genesis at the beginning, you must learn to master it. <laughs> He's given us the weapons of our warfare. He's done everything. He's given us everything we need. And by God, we ought to start getting excited about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <laughs> Stop shacking up and shacking in and tying ourselves up to everything and anything, mentally, physically, whatever. That we just want to find ourselves in and start letting some things go and saying, God, here I am. Here I am. I told you one of my favorite scriptures in Psalms is when it says, God, you will not neglect the work of your hands. And I am the work of your hands. I've said that throughout the years to God. When I was in these circumstances and situations that I just I, I couldn't make sense of. So I had to, instead of allowing them to try to dictate me, I had to look up and say, God, I know you're not going to neglect me through this. Because I'm the work of your hands. I'm not complete yet until I'm with you. So don't let me get sidetracked. But there is a way, you all, in which we're called to live. And it's to know our God and to love our God. The Heidelberg Catechism, we're still in the Lord's Prayer part. It's the Lord's Day 46. Again, the attributes of God, this Heidelberg Catechism, are two tools that I've placed in our times together in hopes to encourage you. You get the notes, that you're sitting down with them, that you're actually applying them. Listen, it's going to do you no good if all you do is hear. 
We have to actually put this into practice. We have to be able first to defend the faith to ourselves, but then as well as to others. Just to live it out, you all. Just to live it out. So the Lord's Day, remember we started last week? Lord's Day 45 on the Lord's Prayer. We carry on to this week. So the question would be, why did Christ command us to call God our Father? Well, the answer is to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to all prayer. A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ God has become our Father. And that just as our parents do not refuse us the things of this life, even less will God our Father refuse to give us what we ask in faith. Second question, why the words in heaven? Here's the answer. These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty as something earthly and to expect everything needed for body and soul from God's almighty power. And the scriptures tie in with that. And I would encourage you to sit down with these tools and and, and pray through, read the scriptures, meditate upon it, get into discussions with other Christians, not people who just hold a form of religion, but other Christians (laughs) to where you are gaining an understanding on how you're to be living now. How are you to be living now? Go to 1 Chronicles, chapter 1, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse, um, chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to hear it read, we're not, I'm not going to read it, but we're turn to it and follow along, but 1 Chronicles, chapter 11, through chapter 12, again, that's not lose sight or get tired when we're hearing this, or if you're actually reading through it. Uh, There is a purpose that this book is in the Bible. Remember, the Bible is the inspired word of God. There's a reason in which we need this book. And yet, these are, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, are the least read books in the church. And I've shared with you before, I've read them before, and I'm like, oh, this is is a lot of information. And it's a lot of information we've already heard from Samuel and Kings and so forth. So why the repetition? Why, why all of this again? <laughs> well, so first is the best way to learn is through repetition. But second, remember why this book was written, why it was inspired in the first place. It was written for people who were taken away. They were removed out of the promised land in which their people inherited. But because of their rebellion, God's judgment fell upon them. And they were now taken captives and they've been enslaved. And now they're free again and they're coming back into this promised land with really no identity. No palace, no temple. And we're just coming back, aimlessly walking in. What do we do now? And so the chronicler, he's putting everything in place for them, reminding them of their identity as God's people. And I don't know if that's hit you yet, but every time I keep reading it, I'm like, God, this is so amazing. This is so amazing. 
Like, I don't know, there's days you can get up, you can get knocked around left and right, left and right, left and right. And you'll lose sight of really who you truly belong to. But then you hear a word. <laughs> you hear a song. Something God will move in a way to remind you. You belong to Him. And that will change your day. Your attitude will be uplifted all of a sudden. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, God. This is who you are. This is who I am. Remember, these people, they, they were in captivity for years. And they need to know who they are. And so don't lose sight, because that's what we're hearing read. That's what, that's what we're studying, is how a group of people are brought back in to God's people, nonetheless. This nation that he has claimed for himself, ultimately for the Messiah to come to save the world, all nations. But God has set these people aside. They've rebelled against him. They looked elsewhere. Judgment fell on them. And now yet again, because God is faithful, he's giving them yet another opportunity. So Carrie, would you play chapter 11? David becomes king of all Israel. Then all Israel gathered before David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. Mm. In the past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who relayed the forces of Israel. And the Lord your God told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be the leader of my people Israel. So there at Hebron, David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel. Mm. And they anointed him king of Israel, just as the Lord had promised through Samuel. David captures Jerusalem. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, or Jebus, as it used to be called, where the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land, were living. The people of Jebus taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. David had said to his troops, Whoever is first to attack the Jebusites will become the commander of my armies. And Joab, the son of David's sister Zeruiah, was first to attack, so he became the commander of David's armies. David made the fortress his home, and that is why it is called the city of David. He extended the city from the supporting terraces to the surrounding area, while Joab rebuilt the rest of Jerusalem. And David became more and more powerful, because the Lord of Heaven's armies was with him. David's Mightiest Warriors these are the leaders of David's mighty warriors. Together with all Israel, they decided to make David their king, just as the Lord had promised concerning Israel. Here is the record of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jashabim the Hakmonite, who was leader of the three, the mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoah. He was with David in the battle against the Philistines at Pasdanim. The battle took place in a field full of barley, and the Israelite army fled. But Eleazar and David held their ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord saved them by giving them a great victory. Once when David was at the rock near the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three, who were among the thirty, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. 
David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. God forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are examples of the exploits of the three. David's 30 mighty men. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the thirty and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzil. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed only with a club, he killed an Egyptian warrior who was seven and a half feet tall, and whose spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, killed him with deeds like these made Benaiah as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the thirty, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. Mighty warriors also included... Asahel, Joab's brother, Elhanan, son of Dodo, from Bethlehem, Shammah, from Herod, Heliz, from Pelan, Ira, son of Ikish, from Tekoa, Abazer, Anathoth, Sibachai, from Husha, Zalman, from Ahoa, Maharai, from Netopha, Helid, son of Beena, from Netopha, Ithai, son of Ribai, from Gibeah, in the land of Benjamin, Benaiah, from Pirathon, Kurai from near Nahal Geash, Abai Alban from Erebah, Asmavath from Bahurim, Ilabah from Shealban, the sons of Jashin from Gizan, Jonathan son of Shaggy from Herar, Ahiam son of Sheher from Her, Eliphal son of Ur, Hefer from Mikira, Ahijah from Pelan, Hezro from Carmel, Peirai son of Joel the brother of Nathan, Mibhar, son of Hagrai, Zelik from Ammon, Neherai from Beroth, Joab's armor-bearer, Ira from Jeter, Gerub from Jeter, Uriah the Hittite, Zabad, son of Alai, Adina, son of Shiza, the Reubenite leader, who had thirty men with him, Hanan, son of Meekah, Jashaphat from Mithna, Uziah from Ashtaroth, Shammah and Jeiel, the sons of Hotham from Aror, Jadiel, son of Shimri, Joah, his brother from Tiz, Iliel from Mehavah, Jerobiah and Joshaviah, the sons of Elnaim, Ithma from Moab, Iliel and Obed, Jaziel from Zobah. Chapter 12. Warriors join David's army. The following men joined David at Ziklag while he was hiding from Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who fought beside David in battle. All of them were expert archers, and they could shoot arrows or sling stones with their left hand as well as their right. They were all relatives of Saul from the tribe of Their leader was Ahiezer, son of Shimea from Gibeah, 
His brother Joash was second in command. These were the other warriors, Jeziel and Pelot, sons of Asmabeth, Barakah, Jehu from Anathoth, Ishmaeliah from Gibeon, a famous warrior and leader among the thirty, Jeremiah, Jehaziel, Johanan, and Josabad from Gedera, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Beeliah, Shemariah, and Shephatiah from Heroth, Elkanah, Ishiah, Azrael, Jozer, and Jashabim, who were Korahites, Jolah and Zebediah, sons of Jeroam, from Gedor. Some brave and experienced warriors from the tribe of Gad also defected to David while he was at the stronghold in the wilderness. They were expert with both shield and spear, as fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. Ezer was their leader. Obadiah was second. Eliab was third. Mishmana was fourth. Jeremiah was fifth. Adai was sixth. Eliel was seventh. Johanan was eighth. Elzabad was ninth. Jeremiah was tenth. Macbanai was eleventh. These warriors from Gad were army commanders. The weakest among them could take on a hundred regular troops, and the strongest could take on a thousand. These were the men who crossed the Jordan River during its seasonal flood at the beginning of the year and drove out all the people living in the lowlands on both the east and west banks. Others from Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. David went out to meet them and said, If you have come in peace to help me, we are friends. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when I am innocent, then may the God of our ancestors see it and punish you. Then the Spirit came upon Amasiah, the leader of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you. For your God is the one who helps you. So David let them join him, and he made them officers over his troops. Thank you. We only went to verse 18 in chapter 12. And so again, we see God's plan and God's purpose coming to pass. David had to rise up as a king because it's through the lineage of David, Jesus was purposed to come from. Also, Jerusalem. Don't lose sight of Jerusalem. And don't lose sight of Jerusalem in our days. Keep an eye on Israel. Keep an eye on Jerusalem, because all of that has prophetic insights to the end of times. Just read the Bible, the prophecies concerning it. And so we ought to be excited about the days in which we're living. And when we're reading this, the hopes that we have is we can see the fulfillment of God's plan, but also want to point out a few scriptures to you that you can take away and apply as Christians. So, verse 8 from chapter 12, it says here, Some of the Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. David was compelled to flee from his own country and to hide himself from the malice of King Saul. This was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the days when he dwelt on the earth, he was despised and rejected. And at this moment, it is well known that Jesus, in our day and age, the Son of David is not received, acknowledged, or tolerated in this present evil world. He has gone forth outside the camp. All who would follow him must go likewise, bearing his reproach. These eleven Gadites embrace the cause 
that calls of David when he was in his worst condition. They left the ease and comfort, the honors and elements of their own homes to associate themselves with him when he was regarded as an outlaw under the ban of society. To this day, every true Christian must separate himself from the world to be a follower of the despised Jesus. And that way, and with that faith, that people still count heresy, must join himself with what is everywhere spoken against, running the gauntlet of the age if he would come and support the calls of the Lord's anointed. Commentary from the verse 18 of chapter 12. We are yours. If you remember when it was read, this is how these men responded to David. We're yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. David was in exile. He wasn't a king yet. And not everyone cares, and not everyone cares to cast in his lot with a banished nobleman. He was outlawed, and his sovereign would have slain him with his own hand if he found the opportunity. Few care to stake their all with someone in such condition. To many of Saul's, um, to, the, to the many that were on King Saul's side, spoke bitterly of David. And wishing to curry favor with the king, they slandered him to the blackest degree. Few respectable people care to associate themselves with a person who is in ill repute. Many to whom David had done no ill were eager to betray him and sell him into the hand of his enemies. For people sought their own gain and did not care whom they sold so long as they clutched their reward. It was no small thing for a band of men to unite with a man on whose head a price was set. David had to stand his guard, for traitors were all around. The people of Gilead would have delivered him up when he went into their gates. The fortunes of David were at low ebb. Therefore, when these men came to David... They did a valorous action, an action that he would be sure to remember in the later days of his triumph. And they testified that they belonged to David and were on his side. Likewise, in religion, morals, and politics, we as the church are on the side of the despised and rejected Christ to whom we belong. Here is the side of the learned. There is the side of the ignorant. We are on neither that one nor the other, we are on Christ's side. In every political question, we desire to be, on, we, to be and ought to be on Christ's side. We are neither of this party nor of that, but on the side of justice, peace, and righteousness. In every moral question, we are bound to be on Christ's side. In every religious question, we are not on the side of preeminent thought, nor on the side of fashionable views, nor on the side of dishonorable gain, but on the side of Christ. Make this our counsel. What would Jesus do? And go and do that. What would Jesus have me to be? Ask God to make us just that. Listen, you can look at these Old Testament scriptures and you can get insight to how the church is to be living. King David was a despised and rejected man. King Saul was still in power and he was out to kill King David. And yet in the midst of all of this, these men were showing up to David. David really had nothing to offer them. 
but they pledge their loyalty to Him. And as it is with us, with Christ, you all, as it is with us, with Christ, we pledge our loyalty to Him. Go to Acts chapter 28. This is the final book of Acts. We start Romans next week. We're making our way through the Bible. But Acts chapter 28... Paul is on the way to Rome. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that there, that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. And said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Pilibus the chief officer of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Polybulus' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we are showered with honors, and when the time came to sell, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandria ship with the twin with the twin gods as it is as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed on to Rig Jim. A day later, we a south wind began blowing. So following the day, so the following day, we sailed up the coast of Petulio. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Alpine Way. Others joined us at the three taverns where Paul saw them. He was encouraged and thanked thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our ancestors, the Romans tried and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested that decision or the decision I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this claim because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, we have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. 
For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set, and on that day, that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. <clears throat> Some were persuaded by the things he had said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go and say to this people, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this this salvation from God has been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus, and no one tried to stop him. Paul, you all. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus, enduring all that he has endured, didn't stop him from serving his God, loving his God. Paul was a transformed man. Remember, he used to kill Christians. (laughs) He used to be the Pharisees of the Pharisees. He was well scholared in, in, in the Jewish religion. And yet... He had an encounter with the living Christ and it forever changed his life. Forever changed his life. And so as with Paul, it should be with ours as well. Our lives should be forever changed. Go to Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse 1 through 12. The book of Psalms, I open it up for us so that it will encourage us. Remember, these psalmists, they knew their God. But I like how in the book of Psalms, they're so transparent. You'll hear of their, of their anxiety, of their stress, of their torment, of their failures. But they don't dwell on them too long. Because they look to their God. And they begin to declare who He is because they understand His character. And in the, in the pits in which they find themselves, they were able to look up and be encouraged, to be edified, to be built up in their faith. And so it should be with us. So it should be with us. Life is hard, and we're going to be facing many challenges. But keep looking up, you all. God is for us. He's not against us. And He wants to use all that is happening around us to reveal Himself to those who are watching you go through it. This is our God, you all. This is a psalm written by King David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. My enemies retreated. They staggered and died when you appeared. For you have judged in my favor. From your throne you have judged with fairness. 
You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have erased their names forever. The enemy is finished. In endless ruins, the cities you uprooted are now forgotten. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from His throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, listen to this, do not abandon those who search for you. Sing praises to the Lord who reigns in Jerusalem. Tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. For he who avenges murder cares for the helpless. He does not ignore, I love this, the cries of those who suffer. Proverbs 19. Three nuggets of wisdom. Ah, the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Proverbs 19, verse 1 to 3. Let's gain some wisdom today. Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Oh, God help us. There is a way in which we're called to live, you all, and it's to serve our King and Master. Let me close us with a song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer. Just get started A testimony